Welcome to The Crunch with Crib. I'm Jess, and each episode I'll be talking with some of WA's best real estate agents and business people to find out what makes them tick and what lessons they've learned on their journey to success. In all honesty, for most of our listeners, we don't need to introduce Tom Panos. Highly regarded as one of the country's most respected and recognisable auctioneers and real estate coaches, Tom has built a brand based on his straight-talking, no-bullshit approach to real estate. We were lucky that Tom made some time to speak with us on his most recent trip to Perth. In person, I found Tom a lot more softly spoken than his online persona, but no less knowledgeable. And our chat ranges on topics from the successful auction campaign to building a real estate team and, of course, the importance of a digital interview. We hope you enjoy it. Tom, thank you so much for making some time for us this morning. Absolutely, Jess. Pumped, looking forward to it. Beautiful, beautiful. So to kick things off, uh, the first thing I wanted to really chat to you about was auctions. Yeah. You're obviously an auctioneer um, and an auction agent. And WA hasn't really, it's not really an auction state in comparison to the eastern state. So I wanted, first of all, to ask you why, why do you think that is? Um, some things just happen because it's just history and people turn around and say, well, this is the way it's done around here. Mm -hmm. Like there's this mindset, this is the way it's done around here. And there's no real logic. And I always say to people, you should always have zero-based thinking. And that is, if you know what you know today, would you actually be doing things um, the way you're doing them, um, even though um, you've got new information that would suggest that the old methods have had an expiry date. Mm-hmm. So I would say that clever people are curious and they ask, am I doing this just because it's always been done or does it actually serve a purpose? One of the other reasons why I think auctions haven't been fully embraced is that the marketplace in Perth, WA, has been a, uh, a, a challenging marketplace where you normally don't have three people mm-hmm. wanting the one property. Yeah. So if you actually look at the dynamics of an auction, Jess, you would say in the ideal world, you want an auction that's got three or four people that want it badly and they're fighting over it because the core essence of an auction is competition. Mm-hmm. So the fact that um, overall, it hasn't been a buyer frenzy market. It would suggest that auction as a methodology is not suited to every property. Mm-hmm. We're seeing that in Sydney and Melbourne now. The proportion of properties that go to market, mm-hmm. auction versus private treaty, has decreased. Mm-hmm. Because competition's decreasing. Because the competition's decreasing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and probably a third reason I would say is that to do a good auction, it requires marketing. Yeah. And in WA and Perth, I would have to say, and this is someone, if you're, if you're a Perth listener listening to this, don't think this is a direct comment on your competency. But overall, when I look at real estate agents across Australia and New Zealand, mm-hmm. it is a marketplace that has never really put a big focus on vendor paid advertising. Yeah. You know, a lot of the real estate agents have said, hey, I don't want to push for the marketing. It'll scare the vendors away. My competitors aren't doing it. I'll just put a little bit more on the commission and um, I'll get reimbursed that way. Um, but to do an auction, you do need to have marketing because what you're doing is you're doing compressed activity over a short period of time. And normally you do bigger ads mm-hmm. and the marketing is of a higher budget. And I think that real estate agents that have got poor or not advanced vendor paid advertising skills may struggle with that. Yeah. So you've touched on competition and obviously marketing. What Are they the two main you know, ingredients for a great auction campaign? Is there anything else that agents should be 
you know, yeah, and a skill and a skilled agent to execute it. Okay. Because you can have a you can have a great agent, you can have the marketing, mm-hmm. and you can actually have competition. Yep. But if you don't have a real estate agent that actually's got a blueprint or a recipe that takes a property from listing it right to the auction day, um, you'll find that it might actually be executed really poorly. And examples would be: How do you handle when a buyer says, "Hey, I don't want to go to auction." Yeah. I want to buy it before auction, or what will the owner take before auction, um, or how do you keep people interested in a property that they saw like five weeks ago? Yeah. That's a skill set that real estate agents have to work on. So I would say they're the three things: you know, marketing, competition, and um, capabilities of the agent. Mm-hmm. So it's not just an agent saying, "Here's my three methods of sale: private treaty, auction, and bar." I'm going to go with auction. They actually have to have some experience and, and some training in that. Correct. Of sale. For, for 40, there's approximately best practice from the day you list it to the day of the auction is 47 points of contact between agent and vendor, and that involves um, reports, face-to-face meetings, mm-hmm. um, realignment on marketing, realignment on price guides, Um it, it requires an agent to actually go full out for four weeks, which is one of the reasons, like, I think some agents don't like the pressure yeah. of being accountable for four weeks. I'm going to have to get a result, you yeah. know? Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, so in regards to the East Coast, yeah. WA, I guess, tends to follow the trends that happen over there, whether that be business structure, the, you know, social media activity, auctions, whatever it might be. Um, so, and one of the things that we've noticed recently, I guess, on the East Coast is single agents... Um, using small business units yeah. and um, and larger teams, I yeah. guess, and that's something that we haven't seen so much here in Perth yet. What do you think are the benefits of that? Oh, the benefits of that is that it's simply, you know, in its most basic, the like the pilot doesn't serve drinks on the plane, yeah. right? <laughs> and 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 I think real estate agents that try and do everything in the job means that what they're doing is they're limiting their capacity to provide high level work to a high number of vendors at any one time. Mm-hmm. So by actually having a team, or let's call it an effective business unit, or call it a pod, call it whatever you like, all we're talking about is a structured unit that ensures that people have got role descriptions in the business. Mm -hmm. The head agent will list, sell, negotiate, prospect, deal-making, marketing. Then you've got other people in the business unit that will do other things such as admin, um, preparation of ads, meet um, stylists at, you know, photo shoots, Mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, drop things in people's letterboxes, inviting people to come to the open. Um, Then you might have what I call is a a blue or a red PA. So I use the terms blue and red PA. Red PA means Mm admin-based. Blue PA means sales-based. So what you'll find is that the typical business unit is a head agent with a red PA doing all their admin. Mm -hmm. Because, Jess, real estate agents seem to have the ability to influence people. They've got good people skills. They're inspiring, um, but they are they they struggle with process yeah. and they struggle with detail, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why I think that you need someone that's got the ability to work your weaknesses, mm-hmm. and that's what I think a business unit does. It allows you to work your strengths and outsource your weakness, and the final outcome is that you're going to turn over a lot more property. Mm-hmm. You'll end up making more money. 
but the most important thing is you'll be happier. And the reason why you'll be happier is you're doing the stuff that's your unique ability, mm-hmm. talking to clients, putting deals together, because uh, most real estate agents really struggle cleaning out databases and, yeah. you know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Do you think that that's a realistic um, structure for a lot of agents in WA where the market isn't as strong as the East Coast? There's not the volume of properties for sale. It's a lot for an agent to carry the salaries of two or three people. Yeah. Um, so do you think... Do you think in, in a softer market that that's, you know, it's a, it's a big call? It's a, it's, a, it's a good question because one agent will look at it as being an expense. Mm. You know, like today we've got, you know, two of the clients I work with and they're both very successful agents, Daniel Gonzalez and Shane Beaumont, mm-hmm. and they've got team members. And that you'll say to them, um, what's the best decision you've ever made? And they'll say putting on team members yeah. because that is what actually grew them. Yeah. Okay. So so I think like I think if you're listening to this podcast, Jess, one of the instant things that you're gonna say is, I can't afford to pay someone forty five thousand dollars to be in my team. You know, my response would be don't think of forty five thousand dollars Think of it being three to four thousand a month. Mm-hmm. Think of it being within three months. If they free you up to help you get focused on doing the main thing, prospect, list, sell, negotiate, you'll find that three or four grand a month is actually an investment. Yeah, it's not a, a cost. Like any business has got employees not because they've got extra money and they don't know what to do with it. They actually pay people because they believe growth will happen by actually working your strengths Mm -hmm. and deploying people, divisions of labour. This is Fordism, like from many, many years ago, that, you know, you don't want to be caught up doing $10 an hour jobs if you're worth $500 an hour. And I think that if you're listening to this podcast, don't jump in and put two feet into the, the river Maybe put someone on for two days a week to just do your basic cleaning of data and then incrementally um, give them more hours. Maybe that's a start or share a PA with another agent. Mm-hmm. But I, I've never seen a successful agent without having an epic team behind them. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the other trends, big trends that are happening on the East Coast right now that you think are going to filter through over here that you haven't? Um, I think... I think the value of the single sales agent has become pretty important. It used to be all about the office mm-hmm. and, you know, the salespeople were the quiet sales reps that worked within the office. Now what you're seeing is people list with people. Yeah. The brand is not as important as the person, but the brand, the person becomes the brand, mm-hmm. you know. And I've got a saying, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. And for me, the biggest thing I've noticed is that a salesperson now basically is running their own business. They're doing their own marketing. They're doing their own coaching. They have got their own subscriptions to, you know, products like software systems. They're putting on their own staff and it's becoming big business. We've got people now, Jess, that have been in real estate for two to three years across all of Australia that are earning $400,000 a year because they've gone pro and they're treating this like a business and not like I'm working at X, X office. So I would say the emergence of the agent as being 
critical in the whole transaction versus the office. Mm -hmm. What does that mean for the office? That means for the office that they've got this dilemma and the dilemma is, do I go to bed each night thinking to myself, if I let this person flourish and grow and build their personal brand, am I vulnerable Mm -hmm. that I can lose this person? And the answer is, of course, everyone is vulnerable, but I think it's more vulnerable to actually not train people, not grow people, not letting them have a brand and having them not want to leave you. They want to stay there, but they actually have got no audience. They're not bringing any business. And that to me is worse. I think that, you know, you've got to take the approach that, hey, I'm going to build this person. I'm going to let them grow. I'm going to work their strengths. I'm going to provide them good services. And I hope that they see value to be with me for five, 10 years. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep that person. And I may actually even involve them as part of my succession plan. Mm -hmm. Because the other option is keep them small, don't train them. They don't want to leave and you're stuck with them. Yeah. And I think that's a worse problem. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you've come from a background of a traditional rep, shop yeah. front rep, yeah. And obviously, things have really changed over. Yeah. You know, I'm sure you started your career. What is, what is the biggest change that you? So when I started, I started 31 years ago. There was no every, every everything was a shop front 31 yeah. years ago. Today, I couldn't tell you what the ratio is. It's still more shop front than non shop front, mm-hmm. but that ratio has dramatically you know changed. Mm-hmm. So just the question that you're asking me is, you know, what are my views on um, shop front versus no shop front? Um, so I know a lot of successful real estate agents that operate from no shop fronts. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of successful real estate agents that operate from shop fronts um, as well. So I think um, the absence, the absence of a shop front does not mean you're not going to be successful. There's just enough evidence out there to suggest if you've got an incredible traditional footprint, which I mean signboards and a lot of you know print media going out there, letterbox drops, then you couple that with digital. Mm-hmm. So if you know when people go off and do a digital interview, when they Google stalking you, you come up looking really good. Yeah. And then when you do that social media interview, which is one that I'm obsessed with because I simply think that people listen to other consumers now more than they listen to the corporation. Mm -hmm. So if you're smashing it on the social interview, if you're smashing it on the digital interview, if you're smashing it on the traditional interview, whether you've got a shop front or not, you will be on the shopping list. Yeah. Because consumers of 2019 are time poor, which means that they don't necessarily walk down the streets with a clipboard saying, let's interview these three window displays. Mm -hmm. They don't operate that way. They do a lot of their, you know, discovery and fact-finding using online, you know, the various websites, REA, REWA, Domain, and then they go on a social, yeah. Yeah. On social, because we've touched on it in most of the questions, so you, you've obviously been hugely successful in building an online brand. What are your top tips for an agent who is looking to, to build their digital presence that's struggling? Okay. So the first thing I would say is um, understand that even if you don't want to participate in that game, like a lot of people say, to me, Jess, it's not my thing. I'm not into that. I prefer face-to-face, you know, belly-to-belly. I like to do it. Even though you may choose not to participate in it, you can't control 
the cycle. Mm -hmm. You can't control the fact that people will Google search you. There are no more blind dates in business. People are constantly doing an interview. So you've got to accept it's no longer your choice. Step number two, understand when you post stuff up on social media, you've got to get a clear understanding who your audience is. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems in real estate social media is that people post content thinking that other agents are their audience. Like, why would you actually go post, hey, I've just wrapped up my 12th deal. A vendor doesn't care about your 12th deal. They want to know why their house is not sold yet. Um, Someone in your local area doesn't care that you've updated your car into a Maserati. In fact, I would turn around and say, they'd be pretty pissed off knowing that that has been funded by vendors. Mm -hmm. So I would say step number one, work out who my audience is. In real estate, it's very simple. It's your local community. Step number two, every time you post something, you say to yourself, is this educating my marketplace? Will my marketplace look at me as a professional? Is this content a line between my audio and video. To me, social media is all about authenticity. And that's why the hottest thing now on social media, let's pick Facebook and Insta for a moment. If you look at the algorithm, live stream on Facebook and live story on Instagram is where the algorithm will give you most engagement. Mm -hmm. So I would say... If you're a real estate agent and you want to get serious about social media, everything starts with video and try and do a bit of life Mm -hmm. and understand that everything you do is either building or destroying brand equity in you. That photo of you at a dance festival with glasses on and a pair of tight shorts on a Saturday night is not the image that is on your website saying that you're part of, you know, Rotary and that you love, you know, contributing to your community. I mean, the average person's going to sit there and say, he looks like he's off his face there on Saturday night, but he's actually got this beautiful website, right? So I think that smart people understand, give people a backstage view of what your life's really like. Mm-hmm. Um, And what you want to be doing is ensuring that those posts are not ego driven. Mm -hmm. Ego is the enemy, Jess. Ego, Ego is that post that you're sitting there and you think to yourself, you know what? I'm going to post that because that's going to really rub it into my competitor next door, right? That's not your audience. Yeah. Yeah. I always say to agents as well, you don't, you know, what you post on social media is what people want to see when you walk in to an appraisal or to a listing Correct. They don't want to, you know, if you're two completely different people, then it's, you know, it's not going to, you're not offering a good... Correct. You know, it's really, like, it's really interesting because I was just, you know, I was having a chat this morning to someone. So I do a lot of presentations, like about, you know, I don't know, 200, 220 um, a year. And And I did a presentation a few weeks ago and... I use the F word. Like, I speak at a conference the way I speak at home. I speak exactly the same way, right? So I use the F words. But what's happened is over the last 20 years, people know that this is the way that I speak. So they know that's who I am. There was another speaker at the conference that day, 
And he never swears. But on this day, he decided to use the F-bomb like about 30 times, right? And he got scored really, really bad and all these people complained. And then they said, why is it, why is it that Tom basically used the same word but no one complained? And we sat there, you know, today and I was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, and my business manager said, it's really simple, Tom. She goes, people know that that's the way that you are. Yeah. So you haven't changed it. They've expected it. The second thing is, it's quite different to say F you or F to yourself. Because if you turn around and say, shit, that was bloody effing stupid what I did that, versus saying those those F wits, right? So one is sort of showing that you're vulnerable Mm -hmm. and one is actually using it to highlight and actually put something or something down. Um, But at the end of the day, you're 100% right, Jess. What you want to do is people got to feel that when they're talking to you, the person that's online and offline is in line. Mm -hmm. 100%. So I'm conscious of your time because I know you've got a speaking engagement to go to, one of the 220 of the year. My very last question for you today is I'd love if you could give the listeners a little bit of an insight into you outside of real estate. When you're not coaching, when you're not speaking, when you're not doing your Sunday night rant, what is it that you do to unwind, relax, turn off from... Um, So... I like drinking a bit, like, which I love. <laughs> What's your favourite drink? Like, I like I like red wine, and I had a beer here last night, which was uh, they had it at the Cottesloe Beach Hotel, which was Wild Yak Summery type beer. Okay. I like so so, so um, I like you know like maybe two times a week having a few drinks. Yeah. I like going um, out to dinner. I'm obsessed with watching sport, like mm-hmm. particularly um, um, f- football in Australia. Okay. So uh, um, Sydney. FC see you know but i follow like i watch perth glory perth glory games i watch i watch them all so i like sport um i do like personal development books like i know it's sort of it's aligned to business but i would do that anyway Mm -hmm. so i like i like reading and you know um finding it about people's lives and um that's a very i'm very uh, i mean i I, I, i'm married have been married for you know, like 25, 26 years. I've got two daughters, 15 and, and 13. You know, I try and be as, as less dysfunctional as I can. It's hard, you know, being, being, being away. Um, I've been absent more than, than, than most, um, uh, parents have. Um, so like Sundays, try and hang out with the girls. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. One more question just for my own personal interest. Do you listen to podcasts? I do. What's your I do. In fact, I've got my phone downstairs because I'm using it to hotspot the music as people come in there. Um, so let me just run through the podcast because I could have just gone in and just tell you every yeah. podcast I'm I'm listening to. Um, so I have a the podcasts I listen to are a mixture of personal development, mm-hmm. spiritual, mm-hmm. and sports so sports i listen to the fox sports football podcast um um, business at the moment the one i was listening to on the plane on the way here was called 10x with a guy called joe polish and dan sullivan um and other podcasts that i love listening to believe it or not which i was never a big fan of her oprah winfrey does okay. a podcast where she interviews various people on spirituality. Yeah. So she just gets – because she's got the ability to pick up a phone and say, I want to interview. So she'll interview people like Dr. Deepak Chopra, mm-hmm. um, 
um, and Dr. Wayne Dyer when he was, you know, he's one of my favourite spiritual um, mentors. Um, so, yeah, but podcasts and, and audiobooks. The audiobook that I'm listening to at the moment is called Atomic Habits. Okay. So audible.com yeah. is a very fast way to uh, upskill yourself. It's like your car's like a uni on wheels, you yeah. know. So James Clear, the book uh, Atomic Habits, good audiobook. Okay, beautiful. I'll look it up. Okay. Thank you so much, Tom, for your time. Thanks a lot, Jess. I'll let you get back to your engagement Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. We'd love any feedback or guest suggestions, so hit me up on Instagram on jess at crib. And if you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to tell a friend.